ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we've had approximately two or three weeks break now there was the birmingham conference then there was the cardiff conference then you've had your eid celebrations so there's been a break of some substance for three weeks now so we need to get back into the studying again back into the regular weekly classes again and so tonight will just be a general reminder an encouragement once again to get back into that studying routine which now inshallah should be regular there's no other breakage that is expected for some time so today then it will be a general reminder an encouragement regarding knowledge regarding the importance of it regarding our need for it our need for knowledge and it's something that is important because a person who doesn't recognize the need for knowledge then that already becomes a huge stumbling block for that person he's not going to strive for knowledge if he doesn't recognize his need for knowledge he doesn't recognize how much he requires that knowledge of the quran and sunnah a person who doesn't recognize that is therefore by logic going to be very weak in his striving and in his need to seek knowledge we already know as we've mentioned many a time before allah told us in the quran وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Allah told us that He did not create the jinn or the humans except for us to worship Him إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ And the Salaf they used to say the meaning of that is إِلَّا لِيُوَحِّدُونَ That Allah created us in order for us to worship him upon tawheed that is the objective of our existence the purpose of our existence is to worship allah upon tawheed therefore it is obligatory upon every muslim to have that basic level of knowledge that basic level of understanding that will at least suffice him in being able to worship Allah upon Tawheed that's why the scholars they mention there is a minimum amount of knowledge that every Muslim must have there is a minimum amount that every Muslim must have 
that minimum amount, you cannot say, I'm not a scholar, I'm not a student, I don't know. That minimum amount, every Muslim needs to know. In that minimum amount is the basics of Tawheed, the basics of what shirk is in order to abstain from it, the basics of practicing Islam, the prayer, and all that goes with the prayer, the fasting and all that goes with the fasting, meaning if somebody now comes and says to you, explain to me in accordance to the sunnah how to make wudu properly in accordance to the sunnah explain to me how to make wudu properly you cannot say i'm not a student of knowledge i'm not a sheikh go and ask somebody else who knows you cannot say that for that type of question how can you not explain how to make the wudu upon the sunnah? What are you doing every day then? If you cannot explain how to do the wudu upon the sunnah, and you're saying go and ask a scholar, go and ask a student of knowledge, then what are you doing every day five times a day? Somebody asks you, explain to me right now, how to pray the full prayer upon the sunnah just as the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli pray as you have seen me pray you say but i'm not a scholar i'm not a student of knowledge go and ask somebody else come on saturday night you can get the answer how can you say that how are you praying five times a day in that case? How are you praying five times a day if somebody comes and asks you, you can't tell them how to do it? How are you doing it then? How are you praying? It comes to Ramadan, somebody says to you, can you explain to me what are the things that break your fast? What are the things that would break your fast, just in case you know. You say to him, I don't know, go to a scholar, go to a student of knowledge. Then how are you fasting? Perhaps you're doing half of the things yourself then and you don't know. You're fasting and you don't know, you're doing things that are breaking your fast. How can you not know what they are? That is like the example of the man who came to one of the scholars in the haram and he said, Sheikh, for the last few years in Ramadan during the day when I've been fasting and my wife has been fasting, we have been committing intercourse. Neither of us had any idea that intercourse during the day when you're fasting, obligatory fasting of Ramadan, that it nullifies the fast. We had no idea. For the last few years we have engaged in that during the day in Ramadan. From ignorance of not knowing. So when the scholars they talk about this issue, an issue which is mentioned in the three fundamental principles, a basic book that all of us should have an understanding of, the scholars they mention in there, 
right at the beginning when the Shaykh talks about knowledge and the types of knowledge the scholars they say there is a minimum quantity of knowledge that every Muslim needs to have what's the criteria for that what's the verdict the amount of knowledge that you require to be able to worship Allah that amount you have to have because if you don't have that amount it means you can't worship Allah so the amount of knowledge that you require by necessity to be able to worship Allah you must have that is an obligation upon every Muslim so now how to pray how to pray properly is that a minimum quantity level of knowledge or not absolutely a person who doesn't know how to pray properly then how are you gonna pray five times a day five times a day obligatory the first thing you will be questioned about on the day of judgment the prayer the first thing you're going to be questioned about on that day is the prayer. And then as the Shaykh Al-Fawzan mentions, فَإِنْ قُبِلَتْ قُبِلَ سَائِرُ If your prayer is accepted, then the rest of your deeds will be accepted, inshallah. وَإِنْ رُدَّتْ رُدَّ سَائِرُ But if your prayer is rejected, then all of the rest of your actions fall short with it. What are you doing if you're not performing your prayer accurately five times a day? So these are levels of knowledge that are minimums for all of us. At the head of that is the Tawheed. And that is what we've been studying. Tawheed at the head of the knowledge that is a minimum for us to understand, to know the basics of, and to understand shirk, that which opposes it, in order that you can fulfill the very basics of your existence which is to worship Allah upon Tawheed. Imagine, Allah has told you the purpose of you being here. The reason why Allah created you. And that is to worship Him upon Tawheed. Yet that one aspect, that one thing, that one objective of worshipping Allah upon Tawheed you cannot do it because you have never properly sat down to understand what Tawheed is and you have never understood what the affairs of Shirk are and so you may well be falling into evil and not recognize it and that is why Hulayf ibn Yaman used to say الناس يسألون النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عن الخير وكنت أسأله عن الشر مخافة أن يدركني The people they used to ask the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم about the good things What are the good things we can do to get reward? He said but I used to ask him about the bad what are the bad things? Because I feared those evils may come upon me otherwise. And I would not know. Hence the Arabs they say, كَيْفَ يَتَّقِي 
من لا يعرف ما يتقي How can somebody protect himself from something if you don't know what you're supposed to be protecting yourself from? So if you do not know the reality of shirk, then how can you protect yourself from it? If you do not know the reality of tawheed, then how can you practice it? There is a minimum level of knowledge all of us are required by obligation to attain. Here, we'll mention some of the statements of the scholars as an encouragement regarding knowledge and seeking knowledge. As Shaykh Al-Thaymeen, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions that this knowledge, the important knowledge, is the knowledge of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. All other types of knowledge are secondary. Knowledge of the academics, useful no doubt and permissible to gain, but not primary. The primary default knowledge is the knowledge of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And Allah mentions in the Qur'an, قُلْ وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ إِنَّمَا يَتَذَكَّرُ أُولُو الْأَلْبَابِ Say, are they equal, the ones who know and the ones who do not know? Are they the same? Are they equal, the ones who have knowledge and the ones who do not? Certainly they are not. As Shaykh Al-Athamini mentions in other places, the answer is clearly no. They are not equal and they are not the same. There is a huge difference between them. Take the example Ibn Al-Qayyim gives regarding two people they walk into the mosque. Two people they walk into the mosque and they stand side by side next to each other and they pray raka'atan identically both of them praying upon the sunnah as it should be both of them perfectly perform their prayers yet Ibn al-Qayyim mentioned the difference between them is like the difference between the heavens and the earth how so? because he mentions one of them prayed sincerely for the sake of Allah so it is as though he is up in the heavens the other one prayed showing off only not for the sake of Allah so it is as though he is down in the pits of the ground difference of the heavens and the earth between them yet they pray side by side the identical prayer what made that difference between them? Fundamentally, knowledge. One of them recognized the importance of sincerity in worship to Allah. The other one did not. One of them recognized why he is stood in prayer and who he is praying to. The other one lacked in that. As a consequence, one of them taken away by his desires and perform the worship for the sake of the people. The other one, understanding who he is praying to, 
understanding the importance of the worship he is performing, did it sincerely for the sake of Allah, so he is up in the heavens in reward. That is why the ayah in the Quran where Allah mentioned, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَى اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ That the ones who are truly in fear and reverence of Allah are the people of knowledge. Everybody will claim they are in fear of Allah and they fear their Lord. But those who are truly upon that station and rank are the people of knowledge. And that is something you will see in the scholars. When you go and sit with the scholars and the elders in particular and you see their mannerisms and you see their behavior, you see how they interact with the people, you see their etiquettes and you recognize that this is as a consequence of the knowledge that they hold. The knowledge they have in recognition of who their Lord is. The knowledge they have in recognition of what Allah has prepared for them in the afterlife from the good and the bad. The recognition that they have of their purpose on this life. There are scholars, when you think back now, from the teachers in Medina, elderly and old in the 80s and yet they used to come put aside private time their own private time not paid for it not as a work schedule their private time elderly in the 80s they used to come to the haram sit down and give private classes to the students who came reading al-bukhari Reading Fath al-Bari, reading Bulugh al-Maram, Al-Aqidah al-Rasatiyah, Fath al-Majid. Sitting there, elderly in age, you think this man is 80-something years old. He is more than likely, more than likely, not very comfortable sitting on the floor for an hour. An hour and a half as the sittings used to be. And yet they sit and they teach. They sit and they teach and they find pleasure in that in reading the ayat of the Qur'an, reading the ahadith of the sunnah. The scholars in the elderly age, they continue to do that. Now we in our mid-years, in our young years, in our middle-age years, and already the laziness it sets in, a person cannot bring himself to come to the class, and yet the scholars in their 80s, 70s and 80s in their old age, Sheikh Ahmad al-Najmi, Rahimahullah, he used to come to Medina once a year. Him alongside often with Sheikh Zayd al-Madkhali. They used to come uh, once a year. Normally give a lecture in Masjid Quba or Masjid al-Qiblatayn. And they were elderly. Uh, Sheikh Ahmed al-Najmi in those days, I remember, he was elderly. Elderly in age. And his breathing was not as flowing as it would be for somebody young. Some coughing in between, some 
recognition of difficulty, but it's not as smooth as it would be when you are young and energetic. And yet the Shaykh would come, travel from the long distances from the south to come to Medina. He would sit, he would give lectures, lectures of an hour or so. They used to come, they used to teach. Even the others, those who are from Medina, in their elderly age coming to the Haram, and you see them getting onto the chair with difficulty feeling the pains from their elderly age. Sitting down on the chair, you used to notice on their faces some anguish as they sit down to get themselves comfortable for an hour now to teach. But they came and they taught, and they continue to come and they teach. So when a person compares himself and his state to the state of the scholars of our time, the energy that they put into teaching, despite their old age, the energy they put into benefiting the people, despite their old age, despite the physical deterioration in their bodies compared to those who are young and fit and healthy, no doubt as a person grows older his energy decreases. Yet despite all of that they come, you see a Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbad, from the days we were there, his eyesight was poor, his eyesight was deteriorating. And he used to come, and when he got to the chair, due to his eyesight deteriorating in those days even, he had to feel around to find the chair and sit down. But he used to come, come, somebody from his sons brings him and he walks, and he comes and he sits. He used to come every day, six days a week. And still this from what I know. Six days a week. We come together once a week here. Once a week we come together. Here in this location. And yet some of the brothers, some of the sisters, who do not have excuse, and that is the, the condition we put with it, the ones who do not have an excuse, yet they still miss. And they cannot bring themselves to once a week. Those who have legitimate reason then as a Sheikh Zaid Rahimahullah Ta'ala said, if you have legitimate reason, you're genuinely unable, then khalas, nothing more you can do. Listen to it on the radio if you can. And inshallah Ta'ala, you get the same reward as those who physically turned up. So the ones who have ability, yet they do not exploit their ability. They do not use their ability for one class a week, one lecture a week, to come and look at some hadith, to come and look at some ayat, to increase your knowledge of the religion. When you think about that state, and then you compare to what the scholars they do, and when we talk about them coming two or three or six times a week to teach, that is only the tip of the iceberg. Then after that one hour in the haram, imagine the hours upon hours they put into the da'wah from their homes and elsewhere. The hours and the hours they put into writing, into checking, into reading, into uh, articles, into audios, whatever it may be. Them attending at the masjid once a week or twice a week or six times a week even, that is all only the tip of the iceberg. Compare that to the situation here now. 
even if a person said but I'm here every week so I'm okay none of this applies to me even if that be the case that you are here every week which is excellent then still compare yourselves to what the scholars do with the rest of their week the rest of their time and how many hours go into the da'wah go into still learning and studying go into still reading that is the way that a person needs to think about things all of this life everything you do whatever it might be from the worldly affairs your work your families your homes your cars whatever it might be ultimately ultimately it's going to be that accountability in the hereafter and that accountability in the hereafter is going to depend significantly and completely upon your level of knowledge because you're only going to be able to worship Allah in accordance to the level of knowledge you have so the less knowledge you gain the less opportunity you give yourself to implement the sunnah how? because the less you learn about the sunnah the less you know what to do the more you learn the different sunnah different sunnah, different sunnahs then the more you can implement them you learn a simple sunnah about what to do when taking your shoes off and putting them on you learn a simple sunnah about how to enter the mosque and exit the dua to read a simple sunnah about the miswak and when to use it you learn some simple sunnah and you start practicing them every day the person who learns more and more and practices more and more there isn't that person having more in his deeds than a person who learns nothing and spends all day every day not recognizing what he's doing when you examine your lives and how your days are spent and what you do with your time how much of that time is put into the Quran and the Sunnah how much of that time is put into studying how much of that time is put into the effort put into knowledge and we talk about this a lot we do mention this often perhaps more so than you hear elsewhere brothers always say that when we listen to the lectures of such and such we notice X, Y and Z all the time but you don't do that and when we listen to your lectures we notice other brothers they don't do that Khalas, no problem there is no issue in that there is no issue in that if we are forceful on this issue of knowledge forceful in pressurizing people then so be it that is the way it should be done it should be done and that is from the nasiha that is from the nasiha that a Muslim has from one brother to another that this is for the benefit and for the success and the victory of us all in this world and in the hereafter give you examples of the students in Medina in the days we used to be at the university the students in Medina I used to see brothers with a fever a fever and imagine having a fever and then outside it's 40 degrees as well with a fever walking in the heat to get to the classes other brothers you used to see them the level of effort they used to put in 
there used to be classes in Masjid Al-Qiblatayn. For those who have not been Al-Qiblatayn, it's a mosque which is approximately a 30-minute walk, if I remember, 30-40 minute walk from the university to that mosque. At least 30-40, maybe 45 minute walk. And you had to walk. Living on campus, it was rare for a student to have a car. Some of the brothers used to have bikes, but most of us had nothing. So then, for the lessons that used to happen in Al-Masjid Al-Qiblatayn after Fajr. There used to be classes there after Fajr at certain times of the year, in the Dawrat, etc. So Fajr would be at 4.30 a.m., 4.45 a.m. So for you to get to that class, it meant you had to wake up at 3.30 a.m. You have to wake up at 3.30 a.m. Get ready, eat something if you have anything in your room, and then you start walking. And make the 45 minute walk to get to the masjid for 4.30, 4.15, whenever the prayer was. And then, in one particular dawra, I remember, after the fajr, once you've prayed the fajr, the shaykh who was teaching at the time, Kitab al-Kaba'ir, Shaykh Abdul Razak was doing it, he was doing three hour long sittings. So you used to get up at 3.30 a.m., get ready, walk to the mosque, 45 minutes walk to get to the mosque, and even at fajr at 3.30 after you walk 45 minutes, it's not cold. You're sweating even at fajr in the dark of the night when you walk 45 minutes. Then you pray your fajr, then by the time the class starts, it's maybe 5 a.m. now, and you're sat there till approximately 9 a.m. it used to be. Four hour class, three, three and a half, four hours long for the class. That's what the shaykh did for a couple of days. On the third day, some of the smart students, they thought maybe we should give a suggestion to the shaykh. So they said to him, shaykh, how about, يعني, you know, the classes are going to be this long. How about you do two hours and then give us a ten minute breather. We can go get a quick cup of water or something. Then we'll come back and do two more hours. Very reasonable suggestion. Very reasonable. The Sheikh said, well, well, no. We're going to do the class. We're going to go through the class. When we finish the class, you go have your breakfast and do what you want. There are no breaks and there are no tea break or anything else. So imagine, imagine what you see here compared to what goes on in Medina, in the university, with the classes, with the students. Imagine now, if we set the class here after Fajr on a Saturday morning, after Fajr on a Saturday morning, and you don't even have to walk 45 minutes, you barely have to drive more than five minutes for most of you. Ten minutes drive in the car. How many people would attend for a class after Fajr if it was on a regular basis? Very few. Very few. It wouldn't really have many in attendance whatsoever. And then if we were to say on top of that, it's going to be a four-hour long class. If we said on top of that it's going to be a four hour long class, then how many would turn up after that? Hmm? 
Nobody there. No, there you go. There you go. There you go. So you have to think about things. These are simple examples. Think about the examples from the Salaf. What the Salaf used to do for knowledge. You all heard the story about the fish. How they bought a fish and three days they didn't get a chance to eat it. Ate it raw in the end. Razien. And you heard the example of the Salaf when they used to squash their bread into the cup of water. Just squash it all into crumbs into the water and drink it all. When they were asked why bread squashed into the water, why not eat the bread and drink the water? He said it takes too long. Taking a bite and then picking up the water, then taking a bite and picking up the water. Squash all the bread, it loaf into that cup, swallow it down in one go, and you're done. Save you time. The Sheikh al-Albani, when he was getting his library door fixed, his library door, he was getting a door put on. He said to the, the, uh, the carpenter, whoever, Make sure the door you put on on my library is a push door into the library. Don't put the hinges on the other way so I have to pull the door and walk in. The carpenter, the worker, he said, what's the big deal? Well, just whatever the hinges, the way they work out, what's the big deal? He said, no. Make sure it's a door that pushes into the library. Because if you make it a door, that is a pull door, then every time I come to the maktaba, every time I come to the library, I'm going to have to get to the door, stop, pull the door out, and then walk in. As opposed to a push door, I come in, still in my stride, and I can push it and carry on in my stride. It will save me a second every time. And that is a true story. Another occasion, a Sheikh al-Albani, he used to have an hour where people could call him, question and answers. A particular hour, whenever that was, like 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. They say on one occasion somebody rang him at 4.59 p.m. His phone went off. So he picked it up. The person said, Sheikh, question, question. It's the, the question hour. I'm ringing about a question. Sheikh said to him, it is currently one minute before that question hour. This one minute, I am in need of it to carry on with my personal research of what I'm doing, carry on with my knowledge what I'm doing. There's 60 seconds of my time left yet. Call back in a minute. True story, they mention of him. This is the way they are. This is the way they are with their knowledge, with their time. They do not waste their time. Now you compare our state. You compare our state to the state of the Salaf, to the state of the scholars, that it's not a state that is good. It's not a state that is overwhelmingly pleasing. That we are so weak in our levels of seeking knowledge, let alone the amount of knowledge we have, but our ability and our effort that we actually put into seeking knowledge, there's a great deficiency in it. There's a great deficiency in our striving for knowledge. And that is something which has occurred over time, the mentalities of the people. Because people are influenced by one another. People are influenced by one another. 
So when you have a brother or two or three or more who are not paying attention to knowledge and they are not attending the gatherings and they are not learning or striving, then that will impact upon others. They think it's not a big deal. They're saying, come out tonight. So let's go out tonight. That influences one another. The behavior of people influences and impacts upon one another. So when that is the case, and it is certainly the case, it requires for those who are striving to be even stronger and grounded and firm when the weaker influences come. So that the influence should be from the stronger ones onto the weaker, not the other way around. It should not be the weaker ones who are not bothering with classes or studying or knowledge who are influencing those who are. Rather, those who are should be influencing those who aren't. Here now, there is, just like all of the other Marakis, all of the other cities, there is a good community that exists. Just like in all of the other places, several places now you have Liverpool, Bolton, Nelson, Leeds, Bradford, all of these various locations, they all have communities, they all have brothers, sisters, participating in the da'wah, helping to move that da'wah forward. So it requires for those communities to nurture themselves upon knowledge more and more. And for those who are stronger to encourage the weaker to come into that knowledge more and more. The ones who will develop the most, the marakis, the places, the masajid, the communities, the ones who will develop the most will be without doubt the communities who are giving the greatest importance to knowledge. The ones who are giving the greatest effort and input into seeking knowledge. They will be the ones who will get the greatest amount of productivity, greatest amount of progress. Because knowledge is the key to all of that progress. Nothing else can be established without the basis of knowledge. And that is how all and every Marcus Masjid community began and focused its establishment upon. Upon classes, upon studying, upon knowledge. So that is something of importance. And these days it is good and it is very encouraging that you see a lot of brothers making an effort not only in their hometowns, but also traveling around to the other locations for classes too. Especially now that the majority, in fact all of the classes except one, are between a Friday and a Sunday. Every class in this northern area Every single class that goes on, whoever be teaching, it is between a Friday and Sunday. The time where the majority of people are free, mostly. So now that opportunity exists to not only attend your regular once weekly gathering in your home location, but also to make an effort to go out and travel. That is something we used to do in the olden days as well. And it's something which is good. 
it is good you notice for your iman that you go out and you mingle and mix with other brothers from other cities, from other communities, and it builds that brotherhood as well. And you see them and their classes and you see them attending and you go and attend and you mix with them and they come. All of that is something which helps the progression of the da'wah. And it's been occurring and that is good that it occurs. Here, mashallah, you see the brothers now from various places too. From Nelson, from Rochdale, from other places they attend. And in other locations you see them too. Huddersfield and various places they come. So this is something we have to give a focus on. It's something we need to push in the community a lot. It cannot be that you only focus on yourself or that you only focus on the serious ones that you know and those others. It's become a habit that such and such doesn't come. It's just become a norm that such and such doesn't come. Don't allow these norms. Why allow these norms to become norms when they should not become norms? It should not be a norm that one of our brothers in our community never comes to the class and it's a habit now, it's a norm, we got used to it. So nobody says anything. That should not be the way. Love for your brother what you love for yourself. If you see brothers who have become lazy, you see sisters who are no longer attending without any reason. Normally, yes, it is understood that sisters may have more of a difficulty in attending classes with various responsibilities with children, etc., no doubt. But whenever they are able, whenever it is possible for them to strive to come to the physical gathering in the mosque, that is better for them too. Rather than listening at home, if you have the option, then certainly you should take the option of coming and sitting in the masjid along with the other sisters and listening together and learning together. That is the better choice if you have the option. If not, then you do what you're able. The brothers, normally those kinds of reasons are not valid. Brothers aren't going to say, I have to look after the kids tonight. Brothers aren't going to say, I need to make the bed tonight. Brothers have less of a reasoning when it comes to those kind of household reasons that may well prevent sisters on occasion, no doubt. Brothers need to focus on each other. Focus on each other. Those who you see are not benefiting as much as they could. They're not striving as much as they should. They are from the community, they are from the close brothers, they are from the people that you know, your families, your friends. Then there needs to be a focus, a real focus, on bringing the people to the gatherings of knowledge. Bringing them into studying, having revision classes together as some brothers do. Having sittings where you go over the work. Because all of the da'wah, all of the progress will occur upon knowledge. All of these various activities that go on in all of the Marrakis now. Many of the Marrakis have the CC Da'awa stores going on. Many of them have kids classes and tuition clubs and other things going on. Many of the sisters in the localities have activities and things going on. Communities are building, they're getting bigger. More and more activities, more and more uh, uh, different programs are being inbuilt into the Da'awa. But for all of those people who are going to do that, then they need to be at the head of the students of knowledge. They should be at the heads 
of the ones who are striving with the knowledge, the ones who are setting the example to the others. Because it is a very fundamental and very basic principle. Al-ilmu al-amal. Knowledge comes before statements and actions. Knowledge comes before statements and actions. That is why the Salaf, they used to say when it comes, or the Imams of the past, they used to say when it comes to knowledge, there is a whole series of steps you have to go through before you get to the step of dissemination. To the step of where now you are propagating or giving knowledge. There are a whole series of steps. Patience and learning and memorizing and studying and understanding and time and time and time until you get to the level where you're not going to disseminate that knowledge. They used to say, the problem with people is, everybody wants to bypass all of the steps and get right to the last step to be the disseminator. And that's why you have all of the mashayikh on YouTube. All of the mashayikh on YouTube, the ulama on YouTube, who have bypassed the system. What do you call it? The fast track. They have done the fast track. Never sat down and studied properly. Never learnt anything. Never gained knowledge. And that's why you see their calamities on YouTube. You see their calamities in what they say and what they do. Because they've never studied properly. Imagine the books now. We talk about Al-Qawaid Al-Arba. A simple book which you could study in one sitting. It is possible to go through that book in one sitting if you wanted. Slightly long sitting, but you could go through it. A simple small book highlighting simple principles to understand. Al-Usul Sitta, Kashf al-Shubuhat. Going on to Kitab al-Tawheed, Thalathatul Usul. These books that you've heard over and over again, scholars mentioning them over and over again. Have we finished those books cover to cover every single section because that is the reality of finishing a book in the olden days when they talk about the riwayah etc it would only be upon absolute completion you can't say I've studied kashf al-shubuhat with one of the scholars and it was over 3 months 20 lessons and you missed 6 lessons out of the 20 you were missing the third lesson and the sixth lesson and the twelfth and the thirteenth and the seventeenth but you attended overall you can't say now I finished Kashf al-Shubuhat with one of the scholars you've done two thirds of it you've done three quarters of it there are whole chunks that you've never studied because you missed those classes that is not the way of a student you finish the books cover to cover every section you go through the text so how many of us have done that with the books? It's not just a case of saying, I go to classes, I do this, I do that. Look at things very technically. When it comes to the books of knowledge, three fundamental principles. How many of us have finished that cover to cover properly? In detail gone through it. In detail when we say that, referring to the relative uh, amount of detail the scholars used to give, which is about... 10 to 15 sessions 
scholars would normally finish three fundamental principles in 10 to 15 sessions. Maybe 20 sessions at most. So have you done a series of 15 lessons, 20 lessons, going through the three principles beginning to end? Kitab al-Tawheed, fundamental principle book. Have you studied it beginning to end? Kitab al-Tawheed, Shabhan al-Duhab. The chapters, those chapters that talk about the different aspects of Tawheed, the different aspects of Shirk. That book, if you were to master it, then it gives you a huge foundation in many of these other sciences around that topic. But have we done it? All these years, MashaAllah, Salafi. I've been Salafi for this many years, for that many years. I remember this used to happen in 2000 and 2005 and 2010. And MashaAllah, this brother, he's been around for a long time. Or some of the brothers now, been around for five years, six years, seven years. Have we finished Kitab al-Tawheed beginning to end yet? Have we finished three principles beginning to end yet? Al-Qawaid al-Arba'a beginning to end. Al-Usul al-Sitta beginning to end. Make your list. How many books have you finished properly? Beginning to end in a proper detailed format. Such that you could now talk about that book. You've done six principles beginning to end. Then give us the explanation of what those six principles are. Give us it briefly. You've done al-Qawaid al-Arba'a. Give us the explanation of what the four are basically. Three principles, tell us about the questioning of the grave. Give us some details about those affairs. A person needs to organize himself and his time and understand how to seek knowledge. And that is certainly through going, the, uh, going through the texts, one by one, section by section. Finishing off the books one by one. Going through the three principles, doing it. Going through Al-Qawaid Al-Arba'a, finishing it. Going through Al-Usul Al-Sitta, finishing it. Going through the books, that's how you start building up an understanding of knowledge. An understanding of what the principles of the religion are. So really, because we've had this break for a while, and time was a little bit limited, and we've gone way over the time that I intended, but the purpose is as a reminder, as an encouragement, we will now be getting back to the classes on a regular basis, I don't... Uh, envisage any breakage now for a while. Regular every week, going through what's left of Kitab al-Tawheed from Sahih al-Bukhari. So it should be again something that we focus our mind on now. Focus on the attendance every Saturday. Focus on getting a book. Getting the, the text at least of the Ahadith. There was a PDF I think that was printed in the early days. Get a copy of that. And every week, put that time aside to attend. Encourage your friends, encourage your family to come to this one gathering, one gathering of knowledge regularly. It is not as the people they do. When you have a conference in Birmingham, in, in whatever markers it might be, conference happens, why is it that you see double the amount of people that you normally do? Because the other 50% never come to regular classes. And that's a calamity. It's a calamity that brothers only turn up when there's a conference. And they don't turn up or attend to their regular classes otherwise. They'll only come if there's a special, a special poster for that day. 
a special conference for that day. Speakers coming invited from that day. That's not the way of knowledge. Knowledge should be that you are constant in it. You're regular in it. You're building it up every week as you go along. And that is how the community will build. So you now, the ones who are serious, and you come and you attend, you need to influence the others who you may see are weaker in that. Love for them what you love for yourself. Brothers and sisters included. The ones who know others who could come. Then encourage them. Don't just make it a norm such and such never comes. Don't bother. Give them some encouragement. Perhaps they have become so used to their routine of not coming. That they don't really think about it anymore. And maybe some odd words from one or two brothers, sisters to one or two sisters. Maybe those odd words suddenly rekindle that spark for them. Maybe that is the encouragement they needed to come back. Sometimes people in places we notice, they may become absent, and then it's their embarrassment to come back. They feel embarrassed that they've missed for so long, and they used to come, and then they abandoned it. Now they feel embarrassed to come back. So now it's your responsibility again to remove any feeling of that nature from them, encourage them to come and to sit and attend and benefit and study together. So that is something we need to do. And this was the same thing we mentioned, I think, straight after Ramadan, or at some point before. So we need to focus on that. From next week onwards, Kitab al-Tawheed, carrying on from Sahih al-Bukhari, a hadith of al-Bukhari. So encourage yourselves, your friends, your family members, even those who are new, we always try and keep things simple. We always try and keep the explanations at a simple level. Never goes into the complexities of things. So even newcomers, people who are new to the da'wah, they can come, they can learn the basics of Tawheed. But it's something we have to give a priority to in our minds. This isn't just something secondary in the week. That you just come on a Saturday. This is something that is the primary focus of the week. That you have gatherings of knowledge you can go to here and in other places. They should be the focus of your week. The fact you have to go to work is secondary. The fact you have to go pick up the shopping and do this and do that. They are secondary. The knowledge, the classes, the books, they are primary. Imagine in years to come for those who are younger. In years to come when you'll have children, inshallah ta'ala. Then what are you going to teach your children? What are you going to teach your grandchildren? You're going to be 50 years old and you still can't fully explain Thalathatul Usul to your grandkids. You cannot fully explain Kitab Al-Tawheed to your grandkids. Then that would be a calamity. That would be a calamity for us. Calamity for the community. Calamity for the Ahlul Sunnah. That we are so far behind in knowledge and learning. And that is why the Western mentality as a whole will say very openly, it used to be criticized by some in Medina. Even sometimes you used to see some of the people of authority not giving as much status to the Western world because of the differences they saw in the levels of effort 
from Westerners compared to other different nationalities, different places. So anyway, we'll conclude upon that today. The purpose was simply as a reminder. So inshallah ta'ala from next week we'll start then Kitab from the section that we left off on. Everybody try and get the book, try and get the PDF, prepare yourselves, encourage everyone, and inshallah ta'ala straight after Maghrib, next week, straight after Maghrib, we'll begin the class, so that'll be approximately 8 p.m. Maghrib, straight after the prayer we'll get into the class inshallah ta'ala. So we'll conclude upon that for today.